Welcome to another episode of Infinite Games, a show about the misfits, rebels, and idealists reshaping the way we work, live, and play, all told through in-depth conversations with incredible entrepreneurs and investors. I'm Daniel Scrivener, and on the show today, I sit down with Rachel Sanders, co-founder and CEO of NextGen Vitamin Company Routine, to learn all about how they're rethinking the daily multivitamin and shaking up a $150 billion market. In this episode, we cover why the current one-size-fits-all multivitamin is broken, how Routine invented an entirely new approach that starts with understanding your genetics and current blood levels, how they blend the perfect multivitamin for every customer, and how their approach to data-driven health and customized nutrition fits into the broader picture of the quantified health movement. To learn more about Routine, visit R-O-O-T-I-N-E.com or follow them on Twitter at Routine underscore C-O. You can also find our show notes and transcript for this episode at outlieracademy.com slash 61. For more great clips and quotes from Rachel, follow us on Twitter at Outlier Academy or subscribe to our YouTube channel at youtube.com slash outlieracademy. And now let's jump into my conversation with Rachel Sanders. Rachel, welcome to Outlier Academy. I'm really excited about this conversation. Thank you for having me. Excited to be here. So we'll get into, and we're going to spend a lot of time today talking about routine and the vitamin and the DNA testing and the whole experience and product you guys have created over the last few years. But to start things out, for anyone that's not familiar with your background, can you give us a quick sketch of your story leading up to founding routine? Yeah, definitely. So I really started my career in healthcare and I've spent over a decade at the intersection of healthcare and technology, everything from investment banking to product and strategy. And really during that time, pre-MBA, I saw what an opportunity there was to use data and use technology to improve how people experience their health solutions and just make it a better experience overall. I didn't know exactly what that was going to look like. And that's really what I focused my two years in my MBA on is how do I make an impact? Where are the biggest opportunities to make a difference within healthcare, whether it's on healthcare spend or, or how consumers experience it? And I was really in the midst of founding my first company in the musculoskeletal space, which has a massive spend. Two thirds of the population has some sort of musculoskeletal issue. And during that experience, I was experiencing tons of stress and fatigue and burnout and really started to look across the board what I could do from a lifestyle perspective. I had some not great experiences earlier in my life with the mainstream medical community. And so I wanted to do lifestyle first, which means looking everything from nutrition to exercise to sleep. And when I looked further into nutrition, saw that a lot of the issues I was experiencing were likely related to micronutrient deficiencies, among many other things. Close to 90% of people don't get adequate daily vitamin and mineral intake myself being one of them, which can lead to everything from stress and fatigue, like I was experiencing to mood imbalance and many chronic health conditions, like metabolic health concerns and heart health issues as well. And that experience was happening all around the same time that I connected with our co-founder at Routine, Daniel. He has a PhD in biotechnology, and he had spent the last 12 years really innovating around how do you create prevention-focused products? using health data from a really scientific basis. And so we combined, we shared our stories. We're both looking to improve our health at that time and saw what was available on the market just didn't really exist in the form that we wanted it. So we came together really driven by a mission to use real biological data, real science, build better solutions for consumers, which is how we came to routine. 
Exciting. I want to ask one question around the medical part of your background, which is I feel like anyone that I know that is working on something in the healthcare field has horror stories in their background. And so I'm curious, what experiences did you have? What did you see that really opened your eyes and made you recognize that, yes, this is truly broken. (laughs) I need to go and be a part of this. Those experiences go back to middle school for me. And when I was having some serious gut health issues and turned to the medical community like you would back when that was happening, I'm now going to date myself. But I went to a few different gastroenterologists and they basically told me that nutrition didn't matter, which in hindsight is just an absolutely ridiculous comment, especially to tell to a middle schooler. And so we as a family didn't listen and decided to change the way that we ate and how I did things. I didn't have dairy for close to 12 years. I didn't eat processed meat for a long time, but really solved my own health issues through what I was eating and what I was putting into my body. And thankfully, by the end of college, that was dealt with. It's still something I pay attention to, but that overarching experience, A, lasted for a long time and B, was I guess it had a big impact on how I think about healthcare in general and kind of prevention and proactive how it all came to be. Yeah, that's interesting. Before we get too deep into routine, I want to talk a little bit about this concept of data-driven health, because I know that that's clearly the kind of area of focus that you're focused on at routine. But I was curious, it also seems like a great way to paint a bigger picture for people. And so I wondered, maybe to start, if you could zoom way, way out, so way further out than just routine, and give us a sense for the data-driven health space as you see it, and the things and companies that you think are interesting in it. Yeah, I mean, we're at a really exciting time across health and wellness and that things that are possible now that were not possible five years ago and definitely not possible 10 years ago. And that's everything from the wearables and the data that we can get by wearing something on our arm or even the continuous glucose monitors that we can now gain access to down to the click of a button to get testing for your genes, testing for your blood, testing for your hormones, and just make it so that people have access to data close to 50% of the market has some sort of wearable, the understanding and desire to get information about your body um, from a consumer standpoint is also continuing to increase in large part due to the pandemic. But we're just at this very, I would say the start, but it's a very exciting time when the technology is there and the demand is also there to make some really cool things happen in healthcare. And then on the solution side, Technology and the cost obviously matters here as well, but there's a number of new solutions that are coming out that are actually using data, individual data, not just one size fits all standard like historical research, but using individual data to create truly unique solutions and deliver truly unique insights to each individual. As we kind of look across the health stack, which is a new concept, everything from primary care, there's forward and one medical, Parsley Health is doing some really interesting things around functional medicine. On the sleep side, eight sleep, as we think about sleep fitness, they're really pioneering that market. There's new opportunities for glucose tracking. Levels is one that's very exciting, one that I've used that provides really interesting insights and has the potential to make an impact across kind of the metabolic health dysfunction space. And then there's, of course, I'm going to say routine as part of this pioneer in the cellular nutrition and micronutrient side of things. But overall, there's a wide variety of companies that are coming together to help people improve the way they look, feel, and perform really using data. And the last part of that data that's very important is the feedback loop that companies like ours are really focusing on. It's one thing to build products that are based on data, and it's 
another thing and kind of where the future is to build those products based on data and then actually track if they're working to create continuously better products for individuals and for the population that you're serving. Yeah, which is fascinating. And it seems like the two things I would highlight there, and you touched on both of them, is that it feels like we're in the midst of a move, and this is incredibly exciting, of having a one-size-fits-all approach to medicine and fitness and health, to moving to have that be truly individual. And then also, say, historically, you would go and see your doctor twice a year. I may have that totally wrong. (laughs) Let's say you go see your doctor twice a year. So you're looking at data every six months and moving to a world where you're going to be looking at data day by day, week by week, but even hour by hour. And I think what Levels is doing around tightening up that feedback loop for people in terms of seeing what they're eating and seeing how that's showing up in their glucoses is really interesting. It's a fascinating time. And so it seems like from one size fits all to individual and then from very loose, very big range of sample sizes of data to getting really, really tight. Do I have that right? And anything else you would add there? Yes. And really, as we think about what that kind of looks like for the consumer, I truly envision that within the next five years, maybe a little bit longer, there's consumers are going to have basically a health data wallet. So they have a crypto wallet, they have their normal wallet, they're going to have a data wallet that they're going to be able to have access to. And they're not only going to take that and transport that into the products and solutions that use the data, but they're going to demand that what they're getting is actually personalized based on their data. And so really exciting times, both from what's possible from a business standpoint, but also where I believe consumer demand is really going. Yeah, I think so too. Although I sometimes I struggle a little bit, it seems like in, but this is just the phase that we're in. We're seeing this massive proliferation. Ultimately, we'll see some consolidation and have that stuff start to settle. But today it feels like, oh man, so I've got, say I'm like the prototypical health and fitness enthusiast. I've got an eight sleep mattress that's giving me some data. I've got a whoop band that's giving me other data. I've got my constant glucose monitor. It's giving me other data, which isn't a bad place to be. I mean, at least people are getting more data than ever before. But I mean, is your view as well too, that at some point we're going to enter that consolidation phase, or at least enter the phase where you're going to have a single platform that's going to integrate all of these things together in that data wallet idea. Yeah. And I actually think we're there. We're at the early stages. I'm seeing a ton of really interesting new companies coming out that are looking to solve that problem around consolidation. What we're doing at Routine is really focusing specifically on the micronutrient side and how all of those various data points come together to inform the precision formulas and insights. Beyond that, there's a number of companies that are thinking about, all right, how does the sleep data that you're getting from eight sleep impact the glucose levels that you're seeing from levels, which also impacts the recovery metrics that you're seeing from loop? And how does that all work together? And how can you, most importantly, show it in a way that's useful for behavioral change and to really make an impact on what everyone is really trying to solve, which is improving health. We're one of the wealthiest nations in the world and our health is continuously declining. And the number one cause of chronic disease right now is related to lifestyle and nutrition. And so a lot of these solutions are starting to answer that bigger question of how do we help people make better choices so that they stay healthier longer and increase their health span, which is a new term that's being used in addition to lifespan. Yeah. Health span. That's really interesting. I've not heard that term. It's super interesting. So I want to start to get into routine a little bit deeper. And one of the things I wanted to pull out is for a business like routine, clearly you're building on top of some trends and technologies that are finally at a place that they're actually usable and they're usable in an affordable way and in a way that's at scale. So what trends and technologies do you feel like have just been integral in your ability to build routine? I think 
it makes sense to dive into a little bit more about what we do and how we do it. And then I'm happy to talk about the technologies that actually empower it. So Routine is really focused on optimizing health and human performance, specifically through nutrition. Today, we're empowering thousands of members to improve in areas across stress, sleep, immune health, and more. And we do that in a really simple way. So we help members gain access to their health data through at-home testing and of genes and other biometric data, as well as insights from bringing data that you already have from a 23andMe or other blood testing that you have. We then develop the precision formulas of up to 19 vitamins, minerals, and other specialty compounds based on those test results that are dosed specifically for each person designed to optimize around their health goals and their biology. And then we have a really unique digital experience for people to track and improve their health on our dashboard. So when you look across everything that we do in our process, which is really this test-take-track approach. On the testing side, we are utilizing a number of technologies around the at-home health testing. We work with CLIA-certified laboratories to make sure that the samples are being processed in a really effective way. And then on the taking side, so we utilize our precision nutrition tech, which is AI that ingests the hundreds of data points that we look at across lifestyle, blood levels, and genetics, and then compares that data to thousands of clinical studies to create N equals one formulas. So when we say N equals one, there's over 700 trillion different combinations just based on the genetic data that we're looking at alone. And then really on the tracking side, that's the AI that we're also utilizing there is everything that we do is based on the clinical studies and the health data. And that's how we create that foundational formula and those foundational insights. But then as you continue to progress and take routine over time, we're tracking how well you're working towards your health goals, how well you're progressing, and then taking those outcomes and pushing them back into your formulas and those insights. And that helps us improve on an individual member basis, but also on a population basis. And ideally going forward, that will also help to figure out and help people make a bigger impact across the board. And you talked about it there, the lifestyle plus genetics plus blood levels, which I have a much simpler understanding of those things than you do. But the way that I would think about those things is it feels like that starts to paint a truly 360 degree view of your health. Maybe expand on each of those a little bit more and why are each of those so important inputs? Each data point really is critical in creating a holistic of understanding of what's going on in your daily life and in your body. On the lifestyle side, we look at things like age, weight, biological sex, activity levels, and diet. And as we think about expanding that, we'll be expanding more into wearables and other lifestyle-based tracking opportunities. On the genetic side, we look at about 50 genetic variants that are all proven through clinical research to have an impact on how your body processes or utilizes various nutrients or where you might have a predisposition to need additional support, whether it's heart health or brain health support. And then on the blood testing side, we look at levels for all of our various nutrients that we offer through both our at-home test, as well as the ability to connect in with other tests. Our current at-home blood test looks at vitamin B6, B9, which is folate, B12, and D3. But we're definitely looking at expanding that testing source. But if consumers have their data, we can utilize it, ingest it, analyze it, and create the products and insights from that. 
I imagine, obviously, you talked about someone comes in, they maybe tell you a little bit about their goals, then they're going to get this at-home test shipped to them, they're going to take this test, and then out of that is going to be created the multivitamin that they're going to be taking or the routine vitamin they're going to be taking. Do I have that correct? And then once someone gets through all of that, what does the feedback look like and what does the continuing of that experience look like? To clarify it, it sounds a little bit like there's a large lift, but we make it very easy and it's really not challenging, especially if you already have data. But even if you don't, we facilitate that testing quite quickly. So on the step one is you order through our site. Step two is you connect and take your tests. So about 50% of our members will bring data they already have. The other 50% will take tests through us, whether it's the DNA test or the blood test. And then, yep, we create the precision formulas. You can log into your dashboard, dig in further into your formula. Other insights from the test results will deliver those nutrients to your door in really easy to take packs that have microbeads in them. So our nutrient delivery is through microbeads, which are slow release. They are engineered to be more absorbable and bioavailable in the body and make it easier for people to take pills. So close to 40% of the market can't or won't take large pills, whereas close to 100% of our members are easily able to take our microbeads and really enjoy the option to take it with liquid or stir it into a smoothie or morning breakfast bowl. And then from there, there's a variety of ways to look at your feedback loop, including self-reported results, including continuous blood testing. And then eventually, as we look into expansion into the wearable space, how that data will continuously provide feedback. Yeah, that's super interesting. And how does the goals that someone set Does that have any influence on the vitamin itself or is that more just their targets that they're sharing with you and then you can help them get there? A bit of both. So we look at everything and the algorithm is very complex in how we create it. But in general, there's based on your genetics, there's certain nutrients that your body can't absorb or that it's dangerous for your body to absorb. So we often make sure to not include those or lower them if there's a danger or just a non-compliance with your body. And then from there, it's a very complex series of data points. And we use our clinical advisors as well as my co-founder, who is the scientist behind everything that we're doing to build out those formulas. So I don't currently take a personalized multivitamin. I just take a standard men's multivitamin. I would guess that that's the default for most people. Talk a little bit about just how big a difference and improvement it is taking a generic one size fits all multivitamin versus something that's tailor fit to your body. Yeah. I mean, the first question I like to ask is, would you ever buy a house without looking at the pictures or at least looking at the address? And if the answer is no, why are you putting something into your body without actually testing what you need or understanding if it's even compatible to your body? So that's really the picture or or where we start there. But on average of the 20 nutrients that are in a standard multivitamin, one is likely harming you, two are ineffective, and the rest are incorrectly dosed. More is not more when it comes to nutrients. And there is obviously differing science on this, but you can read a variety of different articles related to this, but there is a lot of clinical evidence showing that genes really play a role in what's harmful, what's helpful, and the dosage that you really need, as well as understanding your blood levels. So without looking at that data, you don't really know what you need. You don't know what you're taking and you don't know if it could be harming you or helping you. Which is the state that most people are in today. Right. (laughs) (laughs) By and large. Yeah, definitely. And I will I'll say too, our members experience everything from boosting productivity, over 70% sees an improvement in some sort of health metric that goes to 85% after taking routine for three months. People are seeing impact across lower stress, better energy, mood health, better immune health, and more. 
I want to get a little bit into, I know something you and I talked about before we were recording this interview is just around why vitamins are broken. We've talked a little bit about that. You talked about that something's likely harming you. You have a bunch of things that are incorrectly dosed. Why else are vitamins broken generally? It's just if we zoom way, way out, because I guess the sense there is we're talking about the change of like a high quality multivitamin, which is definitely better than things broadly available on the market to something that is much, much, much better because it's just tailored to you. But if we zoom way, way out for there and just look at the vitamin market at large, why is that broken? And what are some of your observations by working in that space of just how bad things really are? The vitamin and supplement industry is a massive over 75% of the US takes some sort of vitamin or supplement. So it's also very utilized. The problems there is there's historically been dubious claims. I think a lot of newer brands are doing a lot better job of actually looking into what's in the products and what's on the label. We come close like three to 5% of what's in the label, whereas the FDA only requires plus or minus 30% of what's on the label, which is something that most consumers don't really understand. There's also just been this proliferation of different distribution channels, different brands, and massive amounts of differing education and conflicting education around what's good and what's not. The funny thing is, is most of that comes down to what is going on in the biology of the people that are actually taking it, which is when things do or do not make an impact. But that hasn't been as much in the conversation until the last couple of years. There's a recent Brigham and Women's study, I believe it was done in 2019, that showed that nutrition research and things around vitamins and minerals really need to be taking into account your genotype when it comes to figuring out what the results are. And the other kind of basis for a lot of this is historical nutrition research has not been done on a wide variety of populations and is done on an average basis. Some of the best or most cited research around vitamins and minerals is a decades old study on middle-aged white male physicians. And so if you're basing, if you're basing a lot of your products and research or claims on studies done on very specific populations, you get into a, a problem. And that's really where we are now. And what's exciting is because of this technology that we've talked about, because of the ability to do more N equals one optimization, we can now really start to figure out what works for each individual because we know that micronutrients, so vitamin, minerals, and other specialty compounds have a significant impact on health. And so we want to help people get that right without overdosing them or underdosing them. I want to talk about one related thing. You just brought it up, but I think it would be helpful just to dive a little bit deeper into macro versus micronutrients. This is something you and I talked about before I thought was just fascinating. And clearly you guys are focused on the micro part of that. So just help flesh that out a little bit for us. Yeah, definitely. So when you look at kind of what you're putting into your body and how you keep your cells healthy, there's macronutrients, micronutrients, and hydration. On the macronutrient side, that is the proteins, carbs, and fats of the world. Most of the U.S. is getting enough, if not too much, of all of those. The micronutrient side are the vitamins, so like vitamin B, vitamin D, minerals, that zinc, magnesium, and specialty, or like non-vitamin, non-mineral compounds, which are alpha-lipoic acid, MSM, coenzyme Q10, and things like that. All of this is really important to keep your cells functioning at their optimal level. The problem is, as you think about nutrition first, and that is an argument that a lot of people have, it's very hard to A, know what your body actually needs from a macro and micronutrient standpoint, and B, get that on a daily basis. In the US, according to the CDC, 90% of people don't get adequate daily vitamin and mineral intake, so they 
can have micronutrient deficiencies that really create problems across the board from stress fatigue to these chronic diseases that we've been talking about. That's really how it's broken down. Yeah, super interesting. I'd love to go and talk a little bit about switch to tactics and talk about just building this company over the last few years. And maybe we can start there because I know you guys have been on this journey for three years. We were talking before we started recording, but the website you just launched looks amazing, tells a really compelling story. And you were just making the comment that, yeah, it's taken us three years to get there. (laughs) So just to start, what do you feel like has changed the most and what do you feel like you've learned the most in these first three years of the company? Yeah, Definitely. So we founded Routine in 2018 and launched publicly in 2019. So we've been in market for about two years, but been working on it longer than that. And we've really scaled from Daniel and I being the two people that did everything to a team of close to 10 now and continuing to grow with scaling to thousands of people and making a true impact in their health. And so it's been a very exciting journey. We've definitely made mistakes and it's been a fun kind of learning experience across the board, but we've really put a lot into figuring out what is our messaging? How do we tell the story? How do we continue to iterate based on feedback and keep talking to our members and talking to the people that love us and the people that hate us and diving deeper into why on all of it and building out solutions that are better for them. And that's really where our blood testing came out of our member dashboard has really kind of iterated and improved around that building out the tracking functionality. And we have a number of exciting new things in the product pipeline that are all coming from our conversations with our members and folks that really want more from us. They want more data-driven health solutions beyond just our foundational product, which is what we offer today. You talked about something there, you know, listening to people that love you, listening to people that don't like you, or it just wasn't a fit. And I want to dive into that because that's something that every founder Every operator in a company, at least at the executive level, has to grapple with that question, how to deal with that feedback, what to listen to and what not to listen to. Do you have any lessons learned there or any insights? <laughs> yeah, definitely. Obviously, an argument out there beyond maybe get an MBA or not when it comes to founder. This is one of those thank you to my MBA and specifically the professors that I got there. And I took a class in product management from a woman named Julia Austin, who has been instrumental in helping us think through kind of growth and feedback and really thinking about how to implement that from a product standpoint. So most of the time I hearken back to the lessons learned from her. She was CTO at DigitalOcean and she's been in product for 20 plus years. And so has a lot of experience on kind of the early Silicon Valley side of things. And really feedback is a gift. The worst thing that you can have as a founder is someone ghosting you or not telling you what's wrong or what's right. If you know what's wrong, you know where to focus and know where to fix. And if 10 people are telling you all the same thing that's wrong, it's amazing, right? Like you have the exact data you need. Where do I focus? Building a company is all about resource allocation and prioritization. And if you have something wrong that 10 people have told you is wrong, it's like, okay, no question. That's where our resources and time allocation is going this week, this month, this year. And so I love feedback, whether it's good, bad, but I hate when I don't know. Yeah. That example there of 10 people saying the same thing is super helpful because that does happen. But I guess my experience has been that I guess it's tended to be, it's definitely company specific, but that oftentimes feedback can also lead you in very different directions. And the approach I try to take there is like, listen to it all and then triangulate, which is just this idea of like, sometimes people use different words, people use different language, but they're really talking about the same thing. Any insights there into like what to do when you have conflicting feedback you're getting? Yeah. And this happens a lot too, as a founder, as you're talking to people that are giving you advice in the space. It's no shortage of advice. Yeah. (laughs) Some people refer to it as mentor whiplash. And 
I guess the biggest piece of advice there is like you and your team know your business better than anyone else. You know it better than your customers. You know it better than your mentors. You know it better than your advisors and your investors. Everyone, most of the time, is trying to be helpful. So one is like digging in on the whys behind why people are saying certain things can lead to more information that's more helpful and more discernible information. And two, being okay with saying that's dumb or like we've tried it and it doesn't make sense. Or yeah, that's a great idea, but we're not ready for that. Like we don't have the resources or the money or the time to really dig into that further, but we're going to put that on our to-do list. Let's prioritize it as like three and come back to it. But being really confident that you and your team know the business, all of it's helpful, but really figuring out where you can make the biggest difference to move the company forward. Yeah, that's great advice, especially the confidence piece. Obviously, everyone is willing, often way too willing to give you feedback. But ultimately, at the end of the day, you're the one that's going to have to square that up with resources and timing and prioritization. And so that makes a ton of sense. What has been the hardest and what's been the most fun parts of this journey for you so far? Yeah, I mean, I would say the hardest is being a founder is hard. There are a lot of high highs and a lot of low lows. And just making sure that you figure out a way to deal with it is super important. And that's advice I give to everyone. It's one, like, are you taking care of yourself? Because if you're not, there's no way you're going to get through it. And two, the best founders. And as you see people that have been successful and raised for multiple companies, there's this ability to level out those high highs and low lows and really just continue forward. Some people do it better than others, but that's just a general piece of advice that you hear that you can't let your emotions get the best of you, but it is, it's hard. You get a lot of no's, especially when it comes to fundraising and you get a lot of no's when it comes to products. And there's a lot of problems that happen. I mean, we just, we're continuing to live through one of the harder times, but that just happens on a daily basis. You're always putting out fires. You're always getting no's and figuring out a way to move forward. I've definitely flexed that muscle and, and learned a lot over the last three years and how to do that. And I do it much better now, but that's hard. And then I would say the most fun part is just seeing the impact that we're having across members. And especially in the last year, we've had everyone from Steve Aoki to we just had an IG live with Matt Brown, who has been a UFC fighter for the past 20 years, just to even to our normal members who are writing in and saying how much routine has helped them improve their energy and learn about their bodies. And that is why I got into the space and why I started in healthcare in general. And so being able to see that impact and the brand awareness growing is fun on a day-to-day basis. It's a long list. When it comes to dealing with stress, anxiety, just feeling burnt out when you've just sprinted for a long period of time or just feeling like you just don't have those ideas. I saw a tweet you had recently, which I loved, which was just something along the lines of like, take the day off, take time for yourself, love your future self. So that's one technique, which is obviously just actually, which is very common, but just actually making sure that you're taking time away. Are there other techniques you have for, I don't know, when you're feeling indecisive or you're feeling stress and anxiety, like journaling, like meditation, anything else that's really been helpful for you? Yeah. So first and foremost, I really pay attention across my health stack, across nutrition, exercise, and sleep. I've tested a lot of different things and exercise is my number one de-stressor and walking is my number one way to get my mind in a place or like make me think through something. Thankfully, I have a jog, which I think you just saw jump off my lap, but that means I'm walking on an almost daily basis. I also am really paying attention to what I'm putting in my body, both on a macro and micronutrient side. And there is a massive impact between or connection between what you're eating and how you're moving and how your mind feels. If I'm doing nothing else, I am still doing that. 
beyond that, I mean, I think from a young age, I've been able to recognize like when I just can't, which is a very millennial thing to do. But just if I'm sitting in front of my computer, scrolling through something and my mind is just not there, I try not to force it unless I absolutely have to. If that's happening, I take a break, I get up, I like do yoga for 30 minutes, but I just try to get back there. And to give yourself that time is really important. I would say the founders that we've evangelized of the past 10, 15 years, there's generally this mindset of just go, 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 like continue to do what you're doing. And we've seen people burn out. We've seen the health problems. Founding a company is a long, stressful journey. So you really do have to take care of yourself. And so remembering that if there's days where you just need a break, you got to take one. If you could go back and whisper something in your ear three years ago when you were founding this company, is there any advice you would give to that early version of yourself? It could be advice. It could just be a reassurance. What would you say? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, there's about a hundred things that I would say, but I was actually talking to someone about this recently, and it has more to do with being a female founder than anything else and that what's happening in the news, the advice that you read, you have to look at who's founding those companies because it matters. And if things look unfair, they are. And you just got to accept it and figure out how to work around it or do better. Female founders have to do more with less. And that just is what it is. It's a very unfortunate state of the market. The percentage of funding that goes to female founders is abysmal. I think we're at 2.2% so far this year on average, which is the worst it's been in five years. We're going down where we're seeing in a fundraising market, these massive early rounds being raised at insane valuations with no revenue and no product. Yeah, there are some female founders in that, but for the most part, that's not necessarily the reality. So figure out who you are as a founder, whether it's a female or someone underrepresented or not. And understand what that means for you and how you need to build, how you need to think about relationships, how you need to think about fundraising and go forward. That's something I would have loved to know a little bit more and focused on or maybe listen to because it's probably advice out there when I was starting the journey. Yeah. And it's obviously terrible that that's the state of things. And I feel like individually, you can try to kind of move the needle there, but the overwhelming stats are what they are and they're incredibly depressing. And so it sounds like a lot of that feedback is generally around, you know, just thinking deeply and setting your expectations correctly. And I would guess just to restate it, but I'm guessing that things like raising capital, things like recruiting have just been more challenging for you as a female founder than you would have guessed they would have been. I wouldn't say that they're more challenging. I would just say we had different challenges or there were different things to think about that male founders might not. There's a lot of research. I think I think it was published in Harvard Business Review, but specifically around prevention and promotion questions. This is one specific where female founders across the board from that are raising 70% of the time get prevention questions, which basically is talking about how your business won't fail. Whereas male founders 70% of the time get promotion questions, which is talking about how big the business and the idea can be. When you think about what you're investing in and you're investing in moonshots and you want to talk about how big the vision can be. And the problem is when you get those questions, you, most of the time people, if you don't know about it, will answer in the same manner. So you have 30 minutes of talking about all the things that could go wrong or 30 minutes talking about an hour or however long the meeting is talking about all the things that could go right. Yeah, which is a very different conversation. Yeah, <laughs> just understanding that and knowing that is important. 
we'll try to find that article and link to it. Those are, that's fascinating stats. And yeah, as someone that's in those conversations, I mean, I feel like the bar both for founders and for investors is you want to leave a conversation more excited that you began it. And it's hard to do if you're spending the entire time, you know, feeling like you're just defending a laundry list of possible things that could go wrong with the business. And yeah, that's never a fun conversation. (laughs) I want to ask one more question and that's around, so I highly encourage, we'll link to it in the show notes, but the website you just shipped, I think is beautiful. You guys have done just done an incredible job on marketing. And I was telling you before we recorded, but, and you were sharing a little bit of the backstory that obviously the first important data point is you've been working on this problem for three years. You've learned a lot. The second important data point is you've been working for nine months on just branding and messaging and storytelling. But the reason I wanted to call that out and ask you a question around that is every founder struggles with that. And I would say most get it wrong or most aren't able to, I guess, have the success that I think you guys have had so far. So what advice would you give there to other founders that are really trying to figure out how to take this amorphous thing that's really exciting and interesting in their mind and make it this tangible thing that anyone can grab onto and just get excited about? Yeah. The biggest piece of advice that I had back, I guess it would have been last fall, so almost a year ago, as we were thinking about what are the next steps? How are we going to scale this? I watched an all raise boot camp course led by Alexandra at Eight Sleep, who is one of the co-founders and head of marketing. And she said in that talk that spending the money to think about the positioning and really truly tell the story of their vision and differentiate it in a competitive space against Casper was the best money and best time that they had spent. And it was a similar question that we had been having is, look, we're so much more than a multivitamin company. We are so much more than a vitamin company in general. How do we tell that story and how do we bring that positioning to the forefront in a really easy, clear, simple way with great visual design? And so that specifically really spoke to me. And I was like, all right, you know what? We need experts. We need people who have done this before. We need help and we need to invest the time, resources and money to make this happen. And we did. And we're still in the process of doing it. And it's hard to make that decision, but you can only get so far, especially building a consumer brand without bringing in that expert help. Even if you're an expert in the space, to have that external view is really helpful when you think about it. But as you're thinking about it, I would be very diligent about reference checking, seeing what work whoever you're working with has done before, seeing how they are to work with. It can be a long process. You want to work with people that you like and making sure they understand the vision of where you're trying to go from the get-go and not asking those prevention questions because you can get those from everywhere and everyone can get them. So do people want to go on this journey with you and want to help you? And that's how we really thought about selecting vendors. I would love that advice because I think Eight Sleep has done a masterful job at that. And it is something that my sense is a lot of founders just misjudge how important that is. Because I think for a lot of people, they're like, I'm excited about this. I'm interested in this. And they don't quite recognize that there is quite a big barrier and and chasm you have to span of figuring out how to articulate that to others. One more question I was going to ask about that is, I've been a part of a number of those journeys where you're trying to define what a company is doing and how you communicate that message. And I've always felt like when those projects are going really, really well, I feel like every week we're learning something new about the business or we're seeing it from a new, interesting, different lens. And often it's not a big leap, but it's just like, rather than looking at it this way, it's just a slight twist in the angle. So having gone through that process, what would you say were like ahas or were just things you didn't expect that you learned along the way by working on that? I would say just the language and the how we say things that resonates was not necessarily surprising, but just so interesting 
and fun to figure out along the way and everything from that, how it works and like how we talk about it and how to simplify that message. And we're still working on like, how do we simplify this? It's a very complex thing that we're doing. How do we make it simple for people to understand and just grasp and want to get involved with without a 45 minute conversation that those conversations typically get people excited? How do you distill 45 minutes of talking into a 30 second view of a website? It's just a fun challenge. And it's, always very insightful and fun to figure out, especially when you see things that are working. Yeah. And I would just say to plus one that on those projects, especially you learn that copywriters are just insanely valuable in terms of being able to take something that's amorphous and turning it into something that's really compelling. And I feel like that's a battle I've fought with multiple, multiple founders of just really trying to convince them that, hey, it's a profession to actually write. (laughs) We should just go pay somebody that can go and do this. And anyway, so it's wonderful that you were able to cross that barrier, I imagine, without much arguing. Where can people that are interested go to learn about routine and where can they go to follow you? Yeah, definitely. So you can find us at our website, which is routine.co, spelled R-O-O-T-I-N-E. And you can find us on social at routine underscore co. In terms of following me, you can find me on Twitter at Rachel S. Sanders. And you have some great stuff on Twitter. So I highly recommend people follow you. Thank you so much for the time. This has been a just fascinating conversation. I appreciate it, Yes, thank you so much. Thanks for having me. Thank you so much for listening. You can find the show notes and transcript for this episode at outlieracademy.com slash 61, including links to everything we discussed, as well as a collection of five books, articles, and videos you can explore to learn more about the power of data-driven health and nutrition. For more from Rachel, listen to the short bonus episode that follows this one in episode 62. There, I dive into everything from Rachel's habits and routines to the tools she loves, her favorite books, and more, all in less than 20 minutes. Finally, visit outlieracademy.com to explore more incredible interviews with the founders of Rally, Titan, Superhuman, Primal Kitchen, as well as best-selling authors and some of the world's smartest investors. I hope you enjoyed the show. I'll see you right here next week on Infinite Games by Outlier Academy.